Essence is proud to honor the Black mothers on the front lines of this global pandemic, the ones fighting for the most disproportionately affected communities, the doctors and nurses standing between us and tragedy, the essential workers keeping us fed, the policymakers fighting to keep their cities safe, and the reporters bringing us life-saving news. Their work must not be overlooked as they care for our families and their own. Essence Podcast Network is proud to celebrate these incredible women with a Yes Girl Podcast limited series event, highlighting their lives and daily contributions to society. Yes Girl Podcast is part of the Essence Podcast Network. You can hear and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you listen to audio. Corey. Hey, Charlie Penn. Hi, love. How you doing? I'm all right. You know, I'm all, you know, given everything that's been happening I'm, I, right now in this space, I'm okay. It's been, as we all have been saying, it's been a really extremely challenging time. But yes. I mean, you know, as we often say, we're finding joy in the little things. Uh, it's been wonderful to tell the stories that we've been telling with our Black moms on the Frontline Spotlight series here at Yes Girl Podcast. It's been beautiful. I, I am so appreciative that we have been celebrating these pockets of joy, these pockets of women who are really heroes. And I love uh, that we've been redefining what a hero looks like. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know I, I know we've kind of done a catchphrase of frontline workers or essential workers, but all of these people are really heroes in that they, they didn't stop. You know, they didn't stop. They kept working for their communities. And that's been really beautiful to witness. Absolutely. And speaking of what we witnessed, it has been, right, Corey, it's been really, I'll say, inspiring and wonderful and celebratory to see so many Black journalists out here covering the pandemic, covering the protests, you know, getting the stories out there, particularly the stories for our community. Because, you know, we know how important representation is. And here on this fourth episode of our Black Moms on the Frontlines series, we're actually celebrating journalists like that. That's right, Charlie. And I want to ask you, because I've been thinking about this, thinking back to the beginning of this pandemic, what have been the most impactful news reports or articles for that you have that really touched you? Like, what's been some of the most helpful news reports that you've seen? I'll be honest with you. I know that it was horrible, right? And everything that was happening and we had to report on the bad news, but it was the feel-good stories that I needed, you know, and somebody who made it. Like, I loved watching the coverage of COVID um, survivors. You know, those uh, stories leaving the hospital and everybody cheering and the nurses and doctors playing songs. And I love that the reporters really brought us there. I love seeing people survive. People rallying together to inspire and help each other really got me emotional. What about you, Corey? Well, I was the complete opposite because as much as, you know, I, you know, believe in science and I believed everything that was happening with Corona, I followed all the things, all the rules. It wasn't until I read a ProPublica piece about, and I'm just going to read you the title. It says, early data shows African-Americans have contracted and died of coronavirus at an alarming rate. And for me, that article just shifted how I looked at this disease. And I really started looking at it through the lens of race. And it just angered me um, at the disproportionate amount of resources our communities don't have. 
And it is, it, ProPublica, for those who don't know, it's an independent news organization. So they do a lot of news reporting and then they service it out to other, you know, outlets to, you know, run the full article or take pieces of it. But what they did really sparked, and I'm sure you remember seeing it, just an onslaught of different outlets reporting on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it just made me look at the disease um, really, uh, you know, I was I always saw it as a public health crisis, but then I just really saw, was reminded of the racial disparities. And that was really saddening for me. But I'm thankful I know it, you know, that I'm, I've made, I've been made aware of it. Yeah, the truth is journalists, we're storytellers, right? And now more than ever, we have a lot of stories that need to be told, particularly for our community. And, you know, I think it's great that in this last episode of our series, we really kind of talk to some of these women. And what I love is that we talk to TV news reporters, because when we think about being on the front lines, I kept thinking like, oh my God, they still have to go out, right, Corey, and get out in the streets and put a microphone in people's faces and talk to people. Like they need to get the story and they have to be there to capture it. So seeing, I think what made the pandemic real for me was seeing all these journalists wearing these masks on television. I think for me, I had a moment because one of my dearest friends, uh, shout out to Omari Fleming, the uh, NBC affiliate in San Diego, he would send us pictures of how he was reporting um, and basically putting a microphone on a broomstick and, you know, all of that. But what I love was the women that we found that agreed to talk to us about the journey they're having both in the newsroom and outside. I mean, I'm thinking about Michelle Relaford. She's a news reporter out of Chicago from NBC5. And she, remember she told us how she would have to take her, she had two coats because she had basically her Corona coat that she did her reporting in. And then she would take it off and then put on her coat that she kept safe in her car to go into the house uh, where she was with, you know, her young children and her family. And that just, that was real. That really stuck with me. Yeah. And she, and through her work in Chicago, she's covered such a range of stories, you know, and she's two-time Emmy nominated and she's still out there, you know, covering the story for her community. And we're really happy to provide a platform for her story um, to talk about how she's really navigating being a mom and a journalist and living in the city of Chicago, which as we know, has this isn't the first time it's been a tumultuous time for Chicago and how she holds on to hope in general as a journalist there. So let's get into this conversation with Michelle Relaford. Hey, Corey Murray, my sister. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm so thrilled that this series has been going so well. It's so powerful. And I'm just so happy we're talking to these incredible women. Yes. I, again, I want to give you kudos for coming up with this idea called On the Front Line, celebrating Black women who are really doing the damn thing, if I can say right now doing the essential work. I mean, we've talked to workers, we've talked to doctors, and today we get to talk to a journalist because I don't know about you, during this kind of time, I want to turn on the news. Like that's what I, I mean, we're already news junkies and it's already in our spirit because of our jobs, but now right. it's more important because the news is where we're getting our updates, the information that is potentially saving our lives every day. Absolutely. And we're hooked on it. We're all, I think, watching news more than ever before. And that's why we thought, okay, these men and women who are actually still out covering the news to make sure that we are informed, this is a scary time to do that. And shout out to them. So I'm happy that we have today's guest on the show. 
Okay. I know. And someone who came on our radar is Michelle Relaford. She is a news reporter and weekend anchor at NBC5 Chicago. She has two sons. She's born and raised in Chicago. She's been nominated for two local Emmy Awards. And we are so excited to have you here. And thank you for on your day off. Do you feel like you've been working like every day? Okay. I have been. So yes, this is my weekend. Um, so this is Sunday for me. Okay. <laughs> Tuesday's a Sunday. But you know what? I don't know if it's just me. I've been having a hard time even keeping track of what day it is of the yeah. week. But yes, this is my Sunday, but I'm honored to be a part of this. And uh, thank you for choosing me. Yeah, we're honored to have you. And let's just, I mean, let's jump in. I The first thing I feel like I want to know is as a journalist, right? You, we always think about our career and what we prepare for. Do you ever feel like you could have prepared for something like this, being in the field during a global pandemic? Oh, wow. Absolutely not. I mean, we are definitely, it is trial by fire, sinking or swimming. I mean, you're definitely learning something new every day. And every day is a different situation that you have to navigate in the safest way possible. So, I mean, I think with journalism and reporting in the field anyway, a lot of it is trial by fire. I mean, you go to journalism school and, you know, you can even go as far as getting a grad degree and the classroom and the teachers, they try to prepare you for your experiences as much as they can, but there's only so much that you can learn in a classroom. I mean, a lot of it really is being on the field, on the street, and just learning your stripes and earning your stripes that way. So yeah, there's no way I could have prepared for having to wear masks and social distancing, you know, interviewing people with a microphone extender and honestly just the anxiety of it. I mean, being in a situation where you're you're a little bit afraid of the people that you're talking to. And I'm in Chicago. I mean, there are some dangerous situations that I've been in. Right. Just stepping into the situation, you kind of know who to look out for. and But this is a situation where everybody could be a danger and a risk to you. And you just, you don't know who or where. I think about like, there's, you know, there's the work that we do as journalists, but then you also have the thing, well, I need to protect myself, my, my human self. And then also talk about, you need to protect your children as well. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I take two coats in my car with me and you know after i'm done reporting i take off my news jacket and put on a different jacket i carry two pairs of shoes with me so that i'm not tracking that into the house and sometimes you know when i get home i and it's tough because i have a little guy he's not even two years old yet and he just wants to run her mommy and I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to take this stuff off. I have to, you know, change clothes and make sure you wash your hands, make sure you sanitize. I mean, it's a whole new world, a whole new reality. And it, it is tough. And sometimes he cries and he doesn't understand why his mom not coming to pick me up. And it breaks my heart, but you have to do these things because I would, I'd, I, I would hate to bring anything home and, and have to see him with 104 degree temperature, oh, you know, having to go in the hospital. I mean, it's, it's really scary. A lot of people I think don't take this virus as seriously as they should, but having interviewed people who have survived this virus, it's, I don't want it. I don't want anyone around me to get it. It just, it sounds like a horrible, horrible experience. If you live through it, you know, Absolutely. and yeah. you and your husband have to like 
kind of sit down when this happened and like talk about the strategy? Because like you going outside as an essential worker, as a journalist, essentially is putting your life at risk. And obviously you have a solid plan for that. But I imagine it was a very real conversation that you never thought you'd be having. You know what? The crazy thing about it is that I don't think it ever really hit us what we were dealing with until we were already dealing with it. And so I was just kind of going to work every day. And one day I was reporting and and just going into the newsroom every day and everything was normal. And then you look up and another, you know, you're getting an email every and and the, the direction is, we're going to try to limit people in the newsroom. Yeah. And instead of coming in and doing a morning meeting, that's all by conference call and you're doing interviews. I, I mean, it just, it was a, a very gradual shift in terms of our reality and what has changed. And I think we didn't really talk about it until we were knee deep in it. And it hit me. This is frightening. And yeah. I noticed myself feeling great at home. But then when I got in the car to go to work and, and to go out into the world, I would feel anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not okay with this. I don't know what's going on. Understandably so. Yeah. My heart always goes out to reporters like you because you guys are reporting news 24-7. You have to be in the streets. You have to be around people. You have to talk to people to get the stories. What's been the most touching story that you've reported on since we have been on in uh, social isolation. Uh, there's a story I did last week. It was a daughter whose mother is in a nursing home right now. And as you know, nursing homes are, st- are some of the biggest hotspots for coronavirus cases. And uh, there was a cluster at the nursing home where her mother is staying. And at that time, there were 70% of the residents who had coronavirus, 30% who did not. And her mom was in the 30%, but of course she was just terrified that it's a matter of time before she became positive. And I think the story was just so touching for me because she just broke down crying. She was so afraid, so emotional, and yet so helpless because she can't bring her mom home. Her mom has dementia, so it's not safe for her to come home. And she told me a story about having a conversation with her mom who has to be in isolation for her own safety. And her mom just saying to her, help me, help me. Oh my God. And, and just the, those words. And that is what she said. She said, help me. And she just said, oh my God. She said, help me. And it just, it broke my heart. And I don't know where I would be without my mother. She helps me tremendously with the kids and with everything. And you know, she made a statement that those of you who can take care of your parents at home, just know how blessed you are. And she just touched my heart because she she's in a situation where her mom, you know, the p- person who brought her into this world and, and who she loves more than anything in this world is in this dangerous, dangerous environment. And she can't do anything to protect her and unfortunately, she texted me a couple of days ago, and her mom is now positive for coronavirus. Oh, oh no. Lori still, you know, is with me. And I've been checking in with her just to find out how her mom is doing. She's 74 years old, and um, she did not blame the nursing home. She did not blame 
the the workers there because she said, listen, they are still in it. They are still coming to work every day. They have not given up. They use their cell phone so that my mom can FaceTime with me. But at the same time, I mean, she just was so broken that she can't help her mom. And I don't think anybody wouldn't be touched by talking to her and hearing her story and just imagining what they would feel like in that situation. Yeah, I've been saying that these everything that we are experiencing and all these heartbreaking stories that either we're living or people are sharing with us, they're going to stay with us forever, you know, and they're really going to stick with us. And we're going to have to work through that emotionally. What do you do to kind of not take these stories home with you with a heavy heart? Because you're right there. Like you said, talking to these people, getting to know people and really being very intimate with the tragedy. How do you take care of yourself while you're making sure you tell other people's stories? Um, wine helps. <laughs> I am yep. two steps away from doing a wine club. I'm two steps away from doing a wine club. That's true. Maybe something a little stronger every once in a while. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. I mean, honestly, in working in a market like Chicago, I hate to say it, but you become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I mean, there's so much violence in this city and I have done just crushing stories about babies, little people who have been shot, who've been killed, just innocent bystanders and talking to their families. I mean, we just had a meeting before this pandemic about mental health among reporters and journalists and and PTSD and, and things that we normally don't even think about. You just think, oh, this is part of the job. It's part of the job. You deal with it. You know, you move, you move past it. But I, you know, unfortunately, it's just a, a, an environment, a community, you know, the community that I'm in, there's just, there's so many heartbreaking stories. This is now just another layer. One more thing, one more thing. Yeah, I, I probably will need to talk to somebody at some point, but you really just for me, you just learn to just swallow it and keep moving. That's, I think that's just personally who I am. I've been through a lot in my life personally. And just a coping mechanism for me is just keep moving, which yeah. is not coping. So, <laughs> but that's what I do. I just, I just keep going. Speaking of being in Chicago, you know, Charlie and I were uh, talking before, you know, re- these viral parties. Mm. I mean, how is that frustrating? I mean, have you have you had to report on why these people are gathering and ignoring what the whole nation has agreed that this is a real problem? Absolutely. And and that has been a big discussion in Chicago. And our, our local leaders here have been trying to find a way to connect with the young people. And I don't believe that it's only the African-American youth who are doing this. It just seems like we are getting caught because we are putting it on social media and doing the Facebook Live. And so we are sharing it with the world. I don't know if other people are just being a little bit more discreet, but it is a huge issue here. And I know one young lady who was at that party, I watched her Facebook Live commenting on the comments that she had been receiving and she just said listen for some of us we don't you telling us to go in the house we don't have anything to do in the house we stay in the house i mean we'll even feel more depressed like this is something that we have to do and 
she indicated that she didn't even believe that this virus was very serious and something that they needed to to worry about. And so there is a disconnect. And so I think the leadership here is trying to find a way to connect with this community who just does not take this seriously. And I think one message they're trying to send is even if you do get it, even if you do survive it, you can pass it to your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather, somebody who is not as strong. And how would you feel if they died because of you. And so they're, they're trying to push that message home. Um, I can't say that it's registering because just this weekend, the mayor went out and she approached a group of kids who were at a basketball court playing basketball. And I love our mayor. <laughs> she, she, she's working it. But she told these group of kids, go home. And some of them yelled back at her, you go home. You go on, you need to find a cure. Stop telling us to go home. The disrespect, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Here of Chicago and these kids are saying, Don't tell us to go home. You go home. We want to have fun. And so it's still not connecting. It's still not connecting. It's heartbreaking when we can't get the message to the youth. Mm-hmm. You know, but thank you for just being there to cover these stories because if they're going to get it, it's going to be from understanding through the news. Or yeah. it would happen to them in their own community, maybe losing someone they love, hopefully not, unfortunately. But right now, I feel like we have to keep banging out this message and we have to overstate it mm-hmm. and we can't stop telling the story. But it's it's challenging. And kids by nature, right, they don't take things seriously. That's also some of that is very human. So even with your own kids, Michelle, how are you talking to children, your children, their friends? What are you how has, has your message changed? What are you talking to them about safety and the pandemic? Well, fortunately, the little guy, you know, he's so young. He has no idea. He's, he's he's like, I get to see mommy every day. Yes, he's like, oh, mommy, he's getting way too used to that. I don't know if he can adjust when things go back to normal. But I do have a 12-year-old and he's in eighth grade. So life has totally changed for him. He's doing e-learning and this was a big year for him. He's going to be a freshman in high school in the fall and no graduation. I mean, no eighth grade trips. I mean, everything has been taken away all of a sudden. He is very aware of how the world has changed. And I think when we go out, definitely, you know, I make sure he has his mask. And I told him, listen, if you don't feel well, if you feel sick, if you feel hot, if you have a fever, you need to let us know immediately. So he knows how serious this is. Um, I don't think he's afraid. I think he is in a very sheltered environment. So, and I, I just, and I probably should have a bigger conversation with him about it, but I don't want him to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he definitely, I think the the challenge for us will be celebrating this year for him in a way that, you know, he still feels respected and, and seen and, and celebrated in a way where he doesn't feel like, you know, he, he lost out on so much on, on, in his eighth grade year where, you know, it's a really big year for him. And we still want him to, to feel proud and to have some memories. We're just going to have to create them in, in different ways. <laughs> I remember how special eighth grade was. You guys remember eighth grade? I love like, eighth grade. Yes. I, I think I loved eighth grade more than I did my senior year. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it was the anticipation of what would be, my, but I'm, I'm going through it as well. My, my niece who is a senior, uh, 
you know, she was saving up money for prom. She, you know, she was getting going to be very pretty in Cinderella Mm -hmm. and, you know, she's at home. Um, But I do love the things I've been seeing. Some schools, they've been putting signs in the kids' yards Mm -hmm. as a surprise to congratulate them Mm-hmm. on their their hard work but uh, but uh, yeah we, we are gonna have to go I'm already thinking like I'm gonna have to double her graduation gift <laughs> I'm like don't get don't get used to this money but this is, is some that, guilty money that's so tough because he is in eighth grade so I'm thinking well at least he'll have high school hopefully <laughs> at least he'll have high school but for the seniors in high school oh my gosh that is really tough yeah. but I don't even know what freshman year is going to be like I would hate to have to start freshman year on the computer I mean right but it's it's day to day I mean you, you don't know what the future is going to look like well, before we, we wrap up with you, Michelle, I would love to know, uh, what is your PSA to the Black community right now as we, you know, as we continue to deal with, like you said, what's going on right now? Well, you talked about the journalists having a critical role right now in terms of presenting the news. And I think I also feel very honored and I feel very proud of the work that we have done at this point at least sending the message and sharing information so people can get the resources they need. I mean, we've had a number of mask giveaways and other PPE giveaways, food giveaways that we have done stories on. And so when they happen and in the black community, you're seeing hundreds of people come out. I mean, they are lining up around the block. So we not only are sending the message that here's an opportunity to get the resources that you me, but we're showing the world, we understand, you know, our, our coronavirus rates are high, but you can see we do want to do the right things. There are a, a community of us who are looking for resources. We are trying to protect ourselves. We are trying to follow all of the recommendations. And so I think my message would be, I know it's tough. <laughs> I know we're in the month of May. I know the weather's getting warmer. Just hang in there. Don't give up. You know, don't get sucked into the temptation to go out, to go to these parties. It's not worth the risk. I've talked to people who are grieving their mothers, who have lost their fathers, not even grandmothers and grandfathers, people who are 40, 50 years old in their 30s are dying from this virus. It's not worth it. So my message would be just please hang in there, take every precaution you can until there is a vaccine, not just until they open up the beauty salon, until they open up the nail salons, until there is a vaccine that can protect us and save lives. I would say just be safe. There's that meme that keeps going around just because outside opens doesn't mean you have to go outside. Yeah. And I'm just like, absolutely. You need to make it. It's a personal judgment call. Yeah. And if you do go outside, if you can't fight it, wear a mask. And, you know, those cloth masks are nice and they're cute and they put the little rhinestones on them sometimes and they have the cute messages and everything. But at the end of the day, the N95 mask is the safest and that's going to protect you the most. It's not the prettiest, 
but and they're not the easiest to find. But in terms of safety, try to find the N95 masks. And they are not the most comfortable, but that's because they are protecting you. They yeah. are preventing the virus from exiting and entering um, as you go outside in the open and you're inhaling the oxygen. So try to find an N95 mask. I want to add on that NPR had a, a story that you could, um, you know, you can take your cute mask, but you take some pantyhose. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say start with a queen size and cut, I guess, around, you know, the thighs. You put that on top of the mask. Because to your point, Michelle, it's really about closing, mm-hmm. getting, keeping the air out. I mean, I know we're getting in the weeds right now. But yeah, those um, masks, you, you need to be protect- like truly the, protected. Like just the regular piece of the panty? I'm like really intrigued right now. Like, <laughs> no, the regular piece of the, the panty. Yeah. They said oh, so it's, it's sheer. It's oh, sheer, okay. but it's also because of, it's tight. And you put that on top of the mask to kind of keep, because they said that's where the uh, misconception is. People are getting these masks or making these masks, but air can still get in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyway, but it's on NPR. They, they uh, I'm a nerd out for a minute. They said they found this out during, I believe, either Vietnam War. Hmm. Yeah, it was something that they had tested. But okay, we can cut that part out. No, but, but I love uh, that. Right. I love that. And it's also something you can do at home. Everybody has pantyhose. Everybody has pantyhose. Yeah. But listen to NPR's up first. They, they, they talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. I love NPR. I'm going to have to yeah. check it out. I missed that episode. Okay. Yeah. Michelle, seriously, though, from our hearts to yours, thank you for the work that you are doing. Thank you for not being afraid to do your job, for getting out there, making sure that we have the information that we need, particularly in minority communities where we need it the most. You know, and we salute you this Mother's Day and we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Stay safe. Yes, I will try. You too. Thank you so much. You know, getting to hear these personal stories from these reporters is so golden because think about it, we rarely get to hear how they're thinking, how they're feeling, and they simply follow the story and report the news. Corey, it's so true. And honestly, Michelle's story, you know, and just how hopeful she really is, warmed my heart, absolutely. And speaking of that, another reporter's story who really touched me is our very own Checky Beckford here in New York City. Checky is from NBC4. She's a general assignment reporter. You know, she, I mean, being a reporter in New York, you see some things. She's reported on Superstorm Sandy, uh, the tragedy at Newtown, and now COVID-19. Checky really gave us so much perspective about the importance of Black reporters and video journalists being in the field. And she shared some really beautiful thoughts on what it means to be a working mom, which, you know, I related to, because I believe she has a young child and the example she is setting for her baby girl. And I even remember that story of her taking a, a young girl wanting to take a picture with her because she saw her as a hero. So up next, let's get into this conversation with Checky Bedford. My love. Hey, Charlie. How are you, my sister? I'm doing well, well, well. You know, we as we continue with this series, we've been talking to so many incredible Black moms on the front lines, and it's just really been warming my heart. And today's uh, today's guest and this episode is extra close to our hearts as New Yorkers because, as many of you know, New York has been the epicenter of the global pandemic, and I don't think people who aren't in New York realize how much that was true. It has been the epicenter of this crisis. 
has been hit so hard. And yeah, to have a journalist on the front line there covering this news that's breaking all the time is really special that we found this wonderful reporter to come to talk to us about what her life is like being in the epicenter. So today's guest is Chucky Beckford, general assignment reporter, NBC4 New York. We get to see her face all the time. Hey, Chucky. Hey, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. We are really saluting these Black women on the front lines like you. And we know how real it is in New York. Corey and I have been talking about this ongoing. You know, um, you're out there covering the news every day in the field, making sure that we have the right information. So we thank you for being here for taking the time. So nice to meet you, ladies. And I, like Corey mentioned, I think that's one of the big things right now is that so many people across the country who haven't been hit as, as hard as New York and New Jersey, I should mention as well. New Jersey's right, number right. two. Um, and I actually live right across the river in New Jersey, but I cover New York and New Jersey. Um, but people just don't realize if they don't live here in this area or don't really know anyone from this area, just how deeply affected New York and New Jersey have been and Connecticut too, but for the most part, New York and New Jersey. So a lot of people ask me, cause you know, my daughter and I left right as things were bubbling up. And um, one thing that kind of scared uh, my daughter's father because he works in Haiti. Uh, when I was telling him like, yeah, we, you know, we were social distancing. We went to the, the, to the grocery store and yeah, they let 50 people in, but I still had to jump back on the subway. I mean, on the bus to get home. Like, yeah, we don't have a car. Like, and he was like, what do you mean? I said, well, what? I couldn't walk, you know, back with all my groceries. So, and that's the reality for so many New reality. Yorkers, right? Because most, a lot of New Yorkers, people live in New York City in the five boroughs, not just Manhattan. People think of Manhattan automatically, but you're talking about the Bronx and Queens and Brooklyn. People don't have cars and really there's nowhere to park them. So you don't have cars. So public transportation is just so important for everybody here. And of course, what do you have on a subway? You have people right next to each other. There's really, it's really hard to social distance when you're on a subway. And in a place where we are used to kind of really enjoying being all over each other, right? Next to each other. <laughs> that was some of, that was part of what we all love about New York. It's just yeah. never sleeps, always moving. And now suddenly in a place where it was almost impossible to social distance, we had to figure that out together. Everything stood still, basically. And if you see those pictures, everybody's probably seen those pictures of just like the uh, the scenes that people go to, that people visit New York to see, you know, Broadway and Times Square. and yeah. Everything is basically empty. The streets are empty. And I've lived in New York before I moved over here to the Jersey side about two years ago. But I lived in New York ever since I moved um, to this market about in 2012. And uh, I've never seen it look like that. Even in the middle of the night, like you'll have people walking down the street, but now it's just completely empty. And it's it's partly heartbreaking, um, but when you look at some of just the amazing acts of kindness and goodness that have come out of this, it's, it's actually inspiring too. I mean, it's just amazing what people are doing for each other, for frontline workers and the frontline workers in general that are actually still going to work every day. You know, these nurses and doctors and even the people lower on the totem pole, somebody actually pointed it out to me the other day, you know, people like doctors and nurses get so much love and they should obviously, but let's remember the, the cleaners and who, who oftentimes are minorities, um, the people who are cleaning those hospitals and taking out the trash, uh, who are going to work every single day. Um, they need some love too. They need a lot of love. Oh my God, I totally want to come back to that because I I, I want to come back to that question. But as you cover these workers and get to know these stories, what has your job been like? How have you been affected personally by covering this pandemic? Like what is your new normal for work? 
it's really, it's really interesting. And actually, you know, I always work with at least one photojournalist. Usually it's two of them, but one photojournalist. And we're, we're buddies, you know, because you're in a van with like sitting next to the same person for eight, nine hours in a day. Um, so you get to know each other really well. And, um, and you share a lot of personal stuff. And, and we all just kind of say the same thing, that it just feels so surreal. And it just feels like something we've never we've never done before. And, and, and just how important what we do right now is it just, it's driven home every single day. I, when I first started here, my first day of work was covering hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy, I should say. And that was my first day of work in New York city and the number one market in the country. Um, and actually they called me in a little bit early to, to start on that. Cause they knew the storm was coming. So they sent me out to long Island, long beach, long Island. And I was at a hotel there as the storm came ashore. And back then I thought, okay, this is going to be probably the biggest story that I've ever covered in my entire career. And then, of course, a couple of weeks later, it was covering Newtown, uh, those of the children killed at Newtown. I thought, OK, well, this is how could you ever do anything that's more impactful and, and more important than this? And, and not that this is any more important, but this is something that affects so many people. I mean, we're talking about a global pandemic. So when we go into work every single day, it's this feeling of um just kind of the weight of, of what we're doing and how important it is. And at the same time, um, you know, trying to make sure that we're safe because uh, we're out there actually talking to people. We're telling everybody to stay home, stay home. And, 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 and that's the best way to protect from uh, catching the virus. And yet we're out there uh, talking to people still to some extent. Now, a lot, most of the time we're socially distant. We have a, we have, you know, apparatus where we have a, a mic stand now before I come up to you and hold the mic to your, to your mouth and basically right. be like, Hey, talk to me and be really close. And I would, I would arrive at an interview and like shake someone's hand. And, and if it's somebody that I've seen before, I'd even lean in for a hug. But nowadays it's just going up to someone and being like, Hey, hi, how are you? Here's I know my from six feet away here. Charlie and I was saying our eyes are going to be way up here. Like, Hey, oh, yeah, that's it. We were that's what it like is. practicing like what is the world look like when we're no longer shaking hands and doing that like kiss hug combo you do when you see some fives like this. It's like, hey, hey, how are you? And you know, it's yeah. like it's, it's, a it's just bad. a whole new world. Like I was talking to a mayor uh, in New Jersey yesterday, and I walked up, and I it, it felt somewhat disrespectful because you you know initially, usually you go up and you're like. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Shake their hand. But now it's like, hi, how are you, Mr. Mayor? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. Do you feel safe in New York going out there? And, and I ask that because so many of us are still sheltering in place, you know, and like you said, you have your PPE and everything and you're out. But how does yeah. it feel out there? It, it feels like a different world, like I said, with all of the empty streets. But for the most part, I definitely feel safe because I know that the that the things that the tools I have in place. I mean, but thank God for my company; they've given us so much PPE in terms of sanitizer and wipes. And our our car looks like a, a, a utility closet for the most part because everything's in there. And um, I'm just so like diligent about it. Now it becomes top of mind where every five seconds I'm sanitizing, or every five seconds I'm using sandy wipes. I have my mask now. Now, when I go live, I use my mask on the air, which has become a whole nother, you know, I, I think as women too, let's get real. When we're doing something like this, for me, I've been doing this for about 14 years now. And whenever I'm on camera, the most important thing for me in terms of looks is what, what does my face look like? How does my hair look? I've got to make sure it's on point, right? But now you've added this mask and it is, it does take some getting used to. 
and uh, how you speak through it is also different than if I was just speaking to you directly into the mic. So um, I definitely feel safe. I wouldn't take the chance if I didn't uh, feel safe because I, I have a seven month old baby and I don't want to bring that home to her. So it's really, really important that, that I'm, a, you know, that mama's safe and, and, and takes care of baby. <laughs> Congratulations on your baby. Aww, Thank you. Oh my gosh. She's everything. She's everything now. And before, you know, I'm, I'm a career woman. I've been climbing the ladder, like I said, for almost 15 years. And um, I was really on the fence about having a baby. And I think as if you talk to any career woman, um, it's when do you do it? You know, so I've, I've kind of put it off and put it off and put it off a little bit. I'm 38 now. So um, when I got pregnant, I was 36 and was kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm, and I, I was going down the rabbit hole of being the quote unquote geriatric um, pregnancy. Oh my God, I was oh, there. That was me. That's currently me. They need to get rid of that. They need to get rid of that because that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And it also, I remember getting a, a sonogram and seeing geriatric and I was like, it's like, how dare you? <laughs> you know, becoming a new mom. And, and then initially I was kind of on the fence, my husband and I, and then, uh, we decided to do it and we were fortunate enough to be able to conceive. And, um, and then this little person comes in and takes over your whole world. And it's just amazing. Cause I thought literally, I, I really did think, uh, before I had her that, you know, ah, uh, yeah, that baby thing, it'll just add another element to this whole thing. It'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be a mom and I'll be a working mom and everything. And then you have her and it's like, it's, it, she's your whole world. And it just, it just, it's amazing. How do you protect yourself when you come home from work? I mean, what is, what is your procedure? So you're What's not- my procedure at the door? Yeah. So I, I'm taking off my shoes at the door, like literally. Because I live in a city environment still. I live in an apartment in a condo. And um, so, you know, you take off your shoes. You hear about all these people who are like, oh, I have a garage and I can, and I'm like, I don't even know about it. I live in the New York City or, or in, in New York City area. That doesn't happen. We don't have a garage to go and just kind of put our stuff in. Um, so I take off my shoes at the door, uh, take, wash my hands first and foremost, because, you know, you got it. And actually, I wipe down my phones. That's Me the next yeah. thing, because people don't realize how much can get on their phones. Like you've and been using your it. phone now. Uh, you hold it all the time. No matter what you do, that's the you may, you may be diligent with everything else. But with your phone, you're always touching it. So you got to wipe down that phone every day and every time I come in. Um, and then that's mainly that's mainly what I do. Take off my coat, stuff like that. Make sure that's put away. But the hand washing and the taking off the shoes, especially because she's seven months old and she crawls quite a bit. So she's yeah. not fully there yet. She's not up on her knees, but she goes backwards and sideways. Um, so she's on the floor a lot. So making sure that none of that tracks into the house is important. Now, in New York, you know, we've all been seeing some of the headlines lately as things are starting to loosen up just a bit. Then, you know, open streets, things like that. While we're seeing some people trying to be out and make the best of it, we're also seeing, as we often do in New York, the police, you know, sort of treating Black people differently as we mm-hmm. accept the social distance. Um, and the same struggles that we've dealt with before are still there on top of this pandemic. You know, how does, what are your thoughts on that as a New Yorker? And what do you think we can do better from what you're seeing out there? Yeah. And I think some stories, uh, we actually did that story recently about, I think it was in Brooklyn where that happened. Um, one of the instances happened. And of course there was the parallel drawn between, you know, how people are treated in Central Park, for instance, versus how they were treated in other parts of the city. And I think that that's definitely the outreach and awareness that has to be done. And I think that that's where we come in really, hopefully, I hope so, that what we're doing, putting our faces out there, putting our black faces out there, faces that people recognize um, and giving them the information that that is what helps make a difference and that you know hopefully being the in-between uh between police and and the public 
um, that that helps make a difference. But there is. I know I know I've read stories about that. I know that we've done stories. Our station, Jonathan Deans is our lead investigative reporter. He's amazing. And he's the one who covered uh, that most recent incident uh, in Brooklyn as well. Going back to what you were talking about earlier, the essential workers um, and, you know, Many of them, like you said, these are the people who we have absentmindedly count on, like cashiers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sanitation workers. But the, many people have had to quit their jobs because of fear of proper protection and nothing being done. You know, they don't want to jeopardize their safety. Um, have you had similar thoughts? Like, if you thought about like, OK, I'm not going to go out here. Have you have you had hesitations being out there on the front lines and what what kind of keeps you going? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to be in a crowded situation. And, and thank God for my company that, you know, they're, they've been so helpful. They've made efforts in terms of keeping us with the same same photographers or the same video journalists every day so that we're working with the same people. So the the, the chance of, of, being, um, of being infected is less because you're not really interacting with too many different people. You're usually with the same person each day. Um, and then having the personal protective equipment. But yeah, I mean, before I leave every day, I, I'm, I say to my daughter, you know, oh, mommy's got to go to work. And it's, it's hard just being a mom anyway, a new mom, like having to leave your baby because I just want to spend all my time with her. But being able to say mommy's got to go to work, it, you have both that feeling of I'm leaving my baby girl. But at the same time, there's this sense of pride that I don't think I re- realized I would have. There's this amazing, her, her dad gets to work from home um, because, you know, he's in finance and that's what they do. And he's, he's here with her. But for me, that I'm the woman, I'm the mom, and I'm kind of the breadwinner right now. And I get to go out and, and, and do this and be this example for my daughter. I mean, it's, it, it's a great feeling. It really is. And, and don't get me wrong. I definitely, there's definitely this, this, this sense of, um, more apprehension when you're out there and, and the idea that you have to be a bit more safe, that you have to look out for things that you wouldn't normally look out for, people coming up to you and 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 making sure that you're keeping your distance. But I do feel really proud that I can say to her that I was on the front lines uh, during this historic time. She's definitely going to be proud of you when she grows up and, and sees mm-hmm. this moment. And I do want to talk about what you mentioned earlier about having Black faces on the mm-hmm. news. Because this information is a huge problem right now in our community, particularly as it relates to the pandemic. And we do tend to trust our people more. So it's more Mm -hmm. important than ever for your face and faces like yours and ours to be out there giving facts. How has it felt for you as a journalist to see so many? I'm a journalist, too, so this is hard to say. So many journalists not reporting the facts. And not necessarily news journalists, but people, let's even say, claiming to be journalists or in that role with the community, giving information that's not safe, accurate, or helpful. Because I know right now as a journalist, it's driving me crazy. You know, that we're not getting the news we need in all the places we should be getting it. Um, Because not everyone is, you know, watching the same stations. People are getting their news on Facebook. So what's that been like for you as a journalist, just kind of experiencing that when you're out here giving people real information? I think, like I said, I think that right now I feel like this is the most important job I've ever done and 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 that there's nowhere else that I want to be because it is so important to have it coming from me. And one really, really cool example that I had from last year before this even started was I was covering a story, I believe it was in the Bronx, and um, I was in my news van writing the story. And then there's obviously other stations there because it was a big news story. So there was other stations, I think it was CBS or an ABC. Um, but there was a little girl walking by with her mom. Mom, a little black girl, and she 
um, walked up to the first news van who that was like two cars ahead of us. And uh, it was a black reporter in that van. And then she went to the next one and it was a black reporter in that van. And then she came to mine and it was a black reporter. And of course it was me. So she got pictures with all of us that day. And I actually had on my Instagram um, the picture of she and her and I together because it's so important for her. Can you imagine in this day and age, imagine this 30, 40 years ago, even 20 years ago, maybe. I don't think that would have happened where this black girl went to three different news bands and all of them that were there had black reporters and some of them had a black video journalists as well. So it's just so important that we're there, that we're the ones who are telling these stories um, because people can look at us and say, okay, I will trust that a bit more hopefully. And that they can see that there's representation there. When I was growing up, I, I was, I came here when I was six as an immigrant with my mom, my single mom from Jamaica, we immigrated here and it was her by herself. And, um, the, the, the just basically the respect that I have for single moms is through the roof because of the one that raised me. Um, and it just always reminds me that, you know, where I got my inspiration was from watching TV at the time <laughs> and watching Oprah and Gwen Eiffel and, yeah. and seeing other people who looked like me. And, 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 you know, that was huge. Representation matters and it matters in such a big way. And I don't think with such a, with such a huge story right now, it couldn't matter more than it does right now. Absolutely. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Can you tell us what would be your PCA to the Black community right now? Because like Charlie mentioned, like so many of of the folks in our communities are getting their information from, like you said it best, Charlie, Facebook. No shade to Facebook or WhatsApp group group text where people just just sharing like the same story. But what would be your PCA, especially for people who, minorities who believe that this pandemic is not real. Mm. I think right now that the press matters, our First Amendment right is basically one of our most important rights right now. We need to take advantage of that. And we need to make sure that we're getting the information, that you are using all of these amazing tools that are at your disposal. Right now, we have so much access to information. Obviously, as you mentioned, there's some of it out there that is not good. But I mean, I think trusting sources like Essence and trusting major sources. I mean, Kristen Welker and Michelle Sindor are out there on the front lines right now in D.C. They're the ones right now that are basically getting to the forefront of it all and giving it, sending it back to us. And I think that they're faces that they can definitely trust out there that look like ours and, and even those that don't look like ours. But if, you, if you're looking for people that look like you to give you information and to believe in, then there are plenty of us out there and you, they're easy to access. I think that that's, that's something that the Black community should take away from this. And how do you, as a woman, as a Black woman right now, we all know that we deal with our own struggles in general and that stress and that anxiety. How are you taking care of you and pouring into yourself at this time, oh. all the work that you do? It's hard. It really is hard. I mean, as as a mom, a new mom, I really get no sleep. I mean, I get zero sleep, (laughs) especially with the shift that I work. I work at the night side shift. So I cover mainly for the 11 o'clock. I appear in the five o'clock as well, but um, I'm always in the 11 o'clock. And so the beauty of that is that it's allowed me to be with her um, more so than I would have been 
had I, not, did I not have this shift? So I, you know, cause she goes to bed at six 30 or something or seven and I'm able to be with her up until about two 30 in the afternoon, which is wonderful. I get the best times of her when she's the happiest and she's most open to playing and learning. So that's great. Um, but it also means that by the time I get home, it's about midnight or later sometimes. And then she wakes up at like five or five 30. So not a lot of sleep for mama. Um, so yeah, I think it's just finding those moments uh, you know, to yourself, if it's five minutes, 10 minutes to listen to some Aretha, listen to some Lauren Hill. I mean, you know, anything you can do to just get into that space where you can kind of recenter. And I love Corey. I remember, I loved that, um, story that you did with Kelly Rowland, who actually, you know, people are like, you look at her and you're like, you've been in this business forever since you were a kid and you've been a destiny's child and you've stood on your own. And yet it's still, having to find a way to come into your own, no yeah. matter what age you are or, or who you are, um, yeah. that that's, that's so important. And all of us are trying to find that no matter what, where you are in life. So. Yeah. We're doing the work. That's what Corey and I say, like, that's you know, it. we have to slow down a little, we're all doing the work and some that's beautiful it. people come out of this tragedy. Yeah. You got to adapt. And that's, I think that's a great lesson for life overall. Speaking of beauty coming out of tragedy, one thing that I've hated uh, being down in Florida Missing the beautiful stories I'm hearing, like in the evenings, I believe it was on Fridays, that all of New York gets together and clap and sing. And And Techie, I want to know what has been a beautiful story that you've covered recently, even though this has been a really dark time. Mm -hmm. But what have you had a story that you have, have reported that just really warmed your heart? I think there's there's a couple of them. One that I really love is that people have put up, um, in addition to the clapping for, for essential workers every evening, they've put up candles in windows um, for a candlelight vigil for those who've been lost, especially here in New Jersey. And I was here in New Jersey for more than 8,500 people have died here in Jersey alone. And so they've put up candles in windows um, at night to basically have a candlelight vigil, even though we're socially distant, we can't, we can't be together in different windows. You'll see people have put up their candles to make sure that those people are remembered and that their families um, are comforted knowing that people are with them. So I think that's beautiful. Another story that I didn't do, but it was, it's just, it's just a beautiful story is there's a, a, wor- a worker who has gone to these, I don't know if you guys have heard, there's been refrigerated vans that have been placed outside of hospitals yeah. that are overwhelmed exactly. with with deaths. And this worker, um, I love stories when people don't have to do something, but they do it anyway. And that's when it really matters to me. She has gone and placed daffodils on these bodies inside of these trucks to make sure that they are not, you know, they're not forgotten and to to make sure that they, people realize that they matter still. They may be in these, in these bands, but they matter and they're part of the story as well. So I think that that's just beautiful. I too live in Jersey. I'm in Essex County. And thank you for saying Jersey three times because New York (laughs) Jersey is in this with New York. Yeah. Um, And I'm, you know, people are regularly like New York, New York. And I'm like, and North Jersey. (laughs) I feel like Jersey is two states. You know, there's North Jersey, New York, and then there's basically New York. Yeah, absolutely. And so everything that's happening, you know, we're watching those numbers the same way our own. And even though New York is a little better, Jersey's still having a hard, hard time. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. The number of deaths in Jersey is still going up. And that's why the number of infections were so high up in North Jersey, because think about it. Everybody, for the most part, everyone here in North Jersey commutes into the city, works in the city, has some sort of connection to New York City. So New York City may be the epicenter, but we're right there. We're 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 right there. Part of it. So, yeah. Jackie, we thank you so much for the work that you do, 
Thank you for being right there on the front lines for us and our community and Black women. We appreciate your time today. And stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much for safe. having me. Lace. And congrats on the Webby nomination, by the way. I, I saw that. So, so congratulations. Thank congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God, that was so awesome. And like I said before, it really resonated with me how Checky said she's showing her daughter that she's a breadwinner. I totally relate to that. I want my own daughter to see that as well and there's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely, I really teared up during that moment. And our next guest, Janae Norman, now has two children who can see her working and lifting her spirits and the spirits of so many as a Good Morning America weekend pop news and ABC World News Now correspondent. Shout out to these incredible Black mom reporters in the tri-state. You know, Janae's story was so special to me because she has been able to continue to do her job from home, bring in some of that lighthearted news when we need a break from the heaviness. And I so appreciate that. And, and Charlie, I know you do too. We need the feel-good stories as much as we need the hard investigative journalism. Corey, we really, really do. And it's like, you know, I always say, like, I need something to lift our spirits. You know, sometimes we know what's real, we know what's heavy, but we gotta feel good and lift ourselves up too. I really love Janae's story because she's given birth at home to a healthy baby during a global pandemic. Come on, sis. How incredible is that? It is absolutely beautiful to hear her tell that story. So keep on listening to hear Janae's story. Hey, Corey Murray. Hey, Charlie Penn. How are you? I'm well, sister. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. You know, I love when we talk to the mamas. I know. And the fellow journalists. Yes. We've been having so much fun doing that. And it's really been a journey with, these, with this series. But I'm so excited with all the storytelling we've been able to do and all the dope women we've been able to meet. I know. Who would have ever thought that we would be talking to a Good Morning America anchor right now? Okay. Who's on the show today, Corey? Janae Norman. ABC correspondent. Hey, Janae. Hi. How are you, ladies? Great. How are you, sister? Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm doing well. I feel human today. <laughs> that what means I got up and I showered. <laughs> and you guys should know, Janae just, like literally just <laughs> gave birth like a week ago. Congratulations. 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 Thank you so much. It's, it's, I mean, we're so excited, um, but it's an adjustment period for sure. Tell you had a baby girl, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we um we didn't know what we were gonna have. Uh, we we were waiting to find out. Um, and we've got a two year old son, and the whole time he was saying it's a baby sister. Uh, and we were hoping for a girl, so we had one of each. So we are elated to have gotten our girl. Oh, now you had a very special birth, correct? Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I did actually. So um, I did a home birth, and that was something we were already planning before all the coronavirus stuff happened. I did a home birth with um, my first son and it, it was a great experience. So I was ready to do that again and to kind of, you know, the first time you do something, you're trying it out, but you really don't know what to expect. So the second time I was ready to maximize the experience and it was exactly what I wanted. It was the most beautiful peaceful birth. I actually, we got part of it on video and I go back and I watch it and just tear up because it was, it was amazing. What was it about the, having the home birth the first time that made you positive you wanted to do it again? I've always been curious. It was, I mean, it, it was as simple as 
pushing out my son, getting into bed and spending the next week there and being comfortable in my own space, not having to deal with strangers or too many people coming and going, people checking on me. Like, you know, if I was in a hospital, having nurses and different kinds of rules and regulations I had to follow, I was at home. It was me and my husband and our new baby. And obviously my midwife was coming to check on us. Um, but that level of comfort um, without having the anxiety of everything else was amazing. So I definitely wanted that again. Especially right now, I would imagine, you know, it's really hard to, everyone's nervous about going to hospitals. And so when you have a birthing plan, it's nice to be safe at home. Absolutely. And it was, I mean, I could not have asked for a better experience. How was your, your son, did he see it as well? So we, because of how things happened with the coronavirus, we knew that he was going to be home with us. Um, so a couple weeks out, we started prepping him for it. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was funny because he would say, push the baby out. And I was like, no, it's not time yet. But he knew that, um, you know, mommy may start making like weird noises if I'm going into labor. And he was there. It, it actually worked out really well where he was up um, when I was having early contractions, but then he went to bed. So we were able to do everything while he was asleep. Oh my God. Oh my Aww. God. That's so great. And he woke up to a sister. Yeah. <laughs> what a nice surprise. Yeah. We woke him up. It was, we, when he went to bed that night, we were telling him, you know, when you wake up, there may be a baby here. Um, and then once the baby came and we were all settled, uh, we ended up waking him up in the middle of the night so he could meet her. Oh, I thought this was so sweet. <laughs> it was great. Well, let's talk about motherhood and the pandemic. Yeah, obviously it has not been easy for any mom. Talk about how your life has changed as a working mom now with two kids in the pandemic. How's your day-to-day -day changed? Well, I am essentially suddenly a stay-at-home mom who also works. <laughs> um, so before maternity leave, I think it was it was about mid-May, um, my last time in Times Square studio. And it was just as things were really ramping up and Thankfully, even before it really was top of my mind to start thinking, you know, maybe I'm not safe or anything. Um, thankfully, ABC was already thinking ahead and making sure that everyone was safe. So they went ahead and made the decision, hey, why don't you work from home? And mm -hmm. so I was really grateful that they'd already taken that step thinking um preemptively uh to make sure that I was safe and at home and able to focus on my health the baby I was growing and my family's health. Um, so that happened in mid-May. And, and I mean, at that point, my husband was already working from home. And so my son's daycare was actually still open, but we figured that we couldn't in good faith be social distancing ourselves and still sending him to school. So mm -hmm. right away, we just took him out of school and just adjusted our game plan. And that's what we've been doing now with two, obviously I am on maternity leave. So that makes it, I don't even want to say a little easier because it's a little harder too. Uh, but even now, as we're thinking about once I am working again and, you know, just not knowing how this is going to progress, we're already thinking maybe we're not even going to plan on sending him back to school when daycare opens up um, just to be safe. So it's completely thrown off everything. But 
trying to think about the silver lining, we got amazing quality time together before the new baby came. Um, and so that was really special. I remember one of my old colleagues told me that uh, she had had her baby, her son, and when she was having her daughter, uh, she was telling me, she said, you know, you really need to embrace that time because once the new baby comes, you're not going to have it again. I mean, you're yeah. not going to have it again. So you should really, you know, enjoy that moment. It's wonderful right. to hear you share that, uh, that that's been a perk. It, it really was. And I think um, the way that our schedules worked out, I my son was kind of would sometimes be distant from me. And we thought maybe it was because I was pregnant. And I, I started to realize that that was maybe his reaction to me working a lot. And so once I was home more, I was his jam. And so even this morning when I told him, well, mommy has to do an interview, he was like, don't leave me. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm home. <laughs> so it, it's special. To you don't that. realize like they really want to be around you. Yeah. They really want their mom. Yeah. I, I, I have a 10 year old and yeah. the fact that we're around each other is it, it has been different because sometimes I think and uh, and Charlie, you're going to have to deal with this when your day comes, I but having, yeah, you know, I don't know about you, Janae, but like, you know, I work, you know, our hours are what, 10 to six. Yeah. So Jillian would go to, she goes to aftercare. Then I have someone picking her up. So I'm usually not home engaging with her until eight 30. Yeah. And now that we're all home together, I look at the time sometime and think like, wow, I would still be in the right. office. I would have missed right. yes. all of this. So many hours. And that's, that's part of what I realized after a week or two, he's, he's saying and doing all of these things. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that you were this little genius. Like he, he really amazes us every day. And so getting, getting those hours back that we were sending him to daycare, it's a lot. Yeah. It's, I mean, we, we will never forget this and we will always appreciate this time. We've been talking a lot about the new normal. Yeah. And as a journalist, particularly a national news correspondent, you are going to help the world usher in like that, you know, getting used to what new normal looks like yeah, and that hope. And so talk a little bit about what those conversations have been like in the newsroom about like covering news and journalism and lifestyle moving forward. Well, so it's making sure that, I mean, there's so many aspects to the story yeah. and particularly for my role, because with Weekend GMA, I'm doing pop news and um, and bringing more of the feel-good stories. and Which we need. Yes. yes, exactly. And I love that. It's a, I mean, I love the hard news too. We've got people who are hitting the streets, who are in the hospitals, who are telling those important stories, who are bringing us the human aspect of those people who are hit hard, who are also working on the front lines and, and dealing with all of that. Um, but I like being kind of that silver lining because we to help ease the anxiety, I think, that a lot of people are feeling, you want to know the details. You want to know the numbers. You want to know how many people are getting it, how many people are dying, how many people are recovering. But then at the end of that, you want to take a, a deep breath and relax and you want something to smile. You want to know that humanity is still good. You want to know about the neighbors who are helping each other, the, the first responders who are going down the street honking horns to celebrate someone's birthday. You want those feel-good stories too. So you know we're all in this together and we're going to get through it together. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that I really appreciate about my role and being able to help with that.
You know, Janae, you make me think about something because, you know, you're a national journalist, we're journalists, we're all storytellers. We live for the news because it's about information and because we're also sharing it. But do you secretly take a break from it? I mean, me and Charlie have talked about it. There are times where I'm like, I can't hear it anymore. Like I have to turn it off. I, like you said, I, I need to go on Instagram and just scroll for a minute. I need to dip into club quarantine for five minutes. Yeah. Like, do you well, take a break? So the, no, not really. And it's, it's more like, I think to help ease my own anxiety and especially because of the social distancing aspect, not being in times square studios, not being in the newsroom, the way that I feel connected and seeing my colleagues is by watching the news. So I do, I will, even if I'm not up at 7 a.m. or up to be watching, I will go back and I, I DVR GMA every morning. I DVR World News Tonight and I'll go back and I watch because I wanna know what's going on. I wanna see the people I know who are out there covering the stories and I just wanna see their faces too. Um, so I don't take a break in that way, but one thing I personally do is, my social media from what I post generally is not news related. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are so many other people who are posting all of that or who uh, you can get so much negativity on social media. And my thing is like, I'm not going to engage in that because if I'm on Instagram, if I'm on Facebook, I want to be a little bit uh, of sunshine if I'm going to post something. So that's kind of my break. I need boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Well, Janae, we appreciate you being a ray of sunshine and bringing positivity and that energy and that light. And we appreciate you sitting down to talk with us right after having a baby. Congratulations again. Thank you. No, like I said, I feel human today because I had a reason to get up and <laughs> my hair is not in a bun today. So thank you for giving me that. You're welcome. And congratulations and stay safe. And we'll see you on our TV. Thank you. You guys take care. A very special thank you to our wonderful guests, Michelle Relliford, Shecky Beckford, and Janae Norman. Keep telling our truths, ladies. Thank you for giving us the information we need to stay hopeful, safe, and well. Yes, girl, and this series is created by the Essence Podcast Network Pod Squad. Executive producer, Tiffany Ashate. Producers, Ashley J. Hobbs and Chantel Holder. Audio engineers, Josh Gwynn and Anthony Frazier and our designer, Imani Nunez. Tune in every Tuesday for the month of May for more Black moms on the front lines. <laughs> <laughs>